Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest this week is Scott Ingram. He's the host of the Sales Success Stories and Daily Sales Tips podcast, and he's actually a quota-carrying sales professional in, in his spare time. We're going to talk about the biggest misconception people have about the top-performing salespeople. We'll talk about the attributes that he's found are common to some of the top performers. And we'll have a spirited discussion about CRMs and what makes them work and not work, as well as those common traits of the top performers. You're going to learn a ton from Scott Ingram. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? So, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to take a different angle on that because I wouldn't think that this would be surprising at all. But somebody told me the other day, like, oh, my God, I was shocked to, to learn this. So as, as you said in the intro, right, I, I've I host a couple of podcasts. We've got this summit coming up. We've published a couple of books. People are amazed that I am a quota carrying account executive with a three million dollar quota. So, you know, all of all of the stuff that I do is uh, in some ways very, very selfish because it's it's an opportunity for me to learn and me to get better and, and for me to apply these things. Uh, and then I just have to work really, really hard to have a, a great productivity system to manage this all is, is the real trick at the end of the day. Well, and I think that's the magic of it is that it's not unrelated. It's funny in my, in my business, I, I obviously speak at a lot of events. I keynote a lot. and I still, every single quarter, work with a small number of clients. And people say, well, gee, why do you do that? Does the consulting make sense? And I said, because as soon as I lose touch with how things are really working in the field, then I become less relevant. So I actually seek out who are the companies where 18 months from now, it's going to be a great case study because they're going to be able to apply all these concepts. And those are the companies I like to work with. And if someone just says, hey, we're doing well, we want to do better, it's less exciting for me than the people where, hey, we're struggling with something. Oh, cool. Let's go fix it. So I think having your finger on the pulse of that is is incredibly valuable and it's something that's sorely missing. Well, and, and I love that approach, right? I, I think that for me, I mean, my perspective is, and, and I love the fact that, you know, you're, you're bringing that real world experience to what you're doing on, on stages all over the world, right? My, my whole philosophy and the reason I created Sales Success Stories in the first place was I think that we can learn the most from the people who are the best right now. And, and so that's really been my focus is, is the these, these number one, top 1% performing sales professionals, I, I feel like if, if you're doing it, then, then there's a lot to be learned from that way. Not to say that, that there's not a lot of value in, in the folks that are, that are out there writing all the books and, and presenting all, all the time, but it's just, it's a piece of knowledge that I feel is, is really untapped. Like this, this just raw practitioner. There's so much information out there these days. How do you actually apply it? Like which pieces do you choose to go out there and implement and what's actually working for you in, in today's marketplace? Yeah, it's, it's, it's great knowledge to tap into. And, and with that, you've obviously talked to a lot of these top performers. What's the greatest misconception that you see that people have about top performing salespeople? 
there, there's so money. It's money. See, that's where my head's at. No, there's there's so many. I think it comes to it comes back to all of the stereotypes that you know so many have been reinforced by movies, and and not that those movies aren't fun, but the the biggest one is let me just try and throw it all into one big stereotype if I can. Right? It's it's this the top person is this super hard charging, massively extroverted, will run over their mother to to get a deal uh, and and they'll do anything to win type of an approach when the reality is first of all the the extroverted pieces is maybe the the biggest misconception of those I've interviewed I don't I don't ask explicitly but you can tell um, just because of the depth that we get into in, in these conversations it's probably a 50 50 split there's there's a lot of introverts at the top of the food chain I think primarily because they're just, they're very thoughtful. They tend to be very methodical. They're, they're listening more, right? They're, they're empathetic with those that they're, that they're working with. And they're just really diligent in their approach. And just more broadly, it's this um, desire to serve, right? Servant leadership has been a really significant theme, particularly at the, at the first sales success summit that we did where, you know, when, when we brought all of these folks together in one room, the, I, I was worried that the egos were going to get out of control, right? Even, even I had misconceptions about what this is going to be. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, the testosterone is going to be get completely ratcheted up and this is going to get, you know, borderline out of control. The opposite happened. You know, the level of humility, because the, the people who are the best are the lifetime learners, uh, believe that there's always better. And so they're the ones that tend to be the most tapped into our podcasts. They're, they're the ones that are listening to this right now going, hey, I'm good, but I know I can be better. What, what can I pick up from this conversation that Ian and Scott are, are going to have? And, and then it's, the, it's also this client orientation. Right. The the commission and the dollars actually aren't the thing uh, that that tend to be the biggest driver. It's it's really the satisfaction that, hey, I served somebody and I helped them get what they wanted to get. And if um, they've taken sort of that approach as their primary focus. And you know what? When you do that, when you serve people in that way and you help them win and, and grow in their careers and, and move the needle inside their company. Company, they advance in their career. They get and the seller. We get everything that we want to get. We we get paid because they trust us. They're willing to do business with us. They're willing to refer us. They're willing to get on reference calls for us. It's it's this really virtuous cycle that that approach and that philosophy really sets up, which is so counter to the "I'll do anything to anybody to get this deal." Very transactional, short term thinking that that I think people associate with with top salespeople. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I think it's those those are attributes. That idea of consult anything to ever, anybody is an attribute that gets attributed to salespeople, but candidly. I find almost never applies to top performing salespeople. So the top performers say, look, if I get a sale and I can't deliver the results for this client, these people are going to be the bane of my existence. And long-term, it's going to cost me too much of my time. So I can't afford to sell somebody something that isn't a good fit. Instead, I got to focus on, can I deliver for my clients? And if I can, then well, I'm confident and that confidence shows up in front of the client. The client says, 
wow, these people are really confident they can serve our needs as opposed to this is someone just trying to sell us something. And what you remind me of, and I can't remember the the term that he used, but I had a conversation with Carson Hetty, who is one of the the top sellers at Microsoft. And he had this idea that was basically, it's it's a triangle and you need to really balance uh, the interests of everyone. And And the interests you needed to be aware of are what are the needs of the client? What are my needs as a, as a seller and what are the needs of my company? And, and I think that's a piece, especially if you're only focused on this is the comp plan and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely max out the comp plan and do whatever I, I need to do to make the most money. Again, tends to be short-term thinking, especially if you're like me, you work for a smaller organization. You've got to think about what's going to be best for the company long term. I mean, I see too many deals out there that get done, you know, especially in in the SaaS software space where they know that this isn't this really isn't going to be a good fit. I'm going to get paid. They're going to buy today, but there's no way they're going to renew. That has so many negative consequences down the road. You know, if if you're trying to maybe you're trying to go public or you're trying to get acquired, right? And we need to show those growth rates. The worst thing you can have on the books is churn. And that negative word of mouth that now is out there because this client's freaking pissed. You know, they spent all this money with you. You didn't deliver. They're going to be 10 times louder than that really happy customer that that you sold out in the marketplace. And they make it that much harder to, to sell. So you really do have to find that balance and that blend and go, okay, you know, we, we can't only serve the customer, right? I also have to protect margins for my company because th- that funds the research and development that funds our roadmap that makes us better in the future so we got to make sure that all of that is is addressed and scott here's here's a question for you with all the people that you've interviewed these top performers what's the most surprising thing that you've learned what's the thing that that and maybe it's not as surprising now given the numbers of people that you've spoken with but early on what were the things that you were expecting to hear but you heard something that was very different than what you expected. So I, I think the biggest surprise is uh, technology. I, I would have thought that the top salespeople would be the ones that have figured out. I mean, you, you know, I mean, there's just so much, not just sales technology, but just technology in general, right? Productivity and, and everything else, right? There's, there's so much technology in our lives. I, I went into this thinking, you know, the, the very best are have figured out how to be super efficient and really maximize the use of technology. What surprised me is is the opposite is true. They seem to be like super old school. And I'm and I'm not talking this has nothing to do with tenure, right? Or or otherwise known as age, right? I I've talked to to millennials who are I'm like, "Okay, what what are the tools?" There's the only tool that comes up nearly in every conversation is LinkedIn, right? Like LinkedIn is, is a given in sales, but beyond that, it's, well, I use my calendar. I use email. I hear a lot about, you know, and, and it's funny cause they'll be, they'll get embarrassed by it, but they're like, I, I take a lot of notes by hand. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm not using a, a, a note-taking app. And what's interesting is I, I dug into that a little bit deeper. And, and I mean, there's a lot of studies on that, that, just taking notes by hand, your retention is like 2x um, over, over a whole ver- variety of, of ideas. So I, I think that 
you know, there's there's been so much emphasis and obviously there's so much money being spent on this idea that technology is the answer. And and the reality seems to be uh, actually technology might be getting in your way. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that you say that because um, there's a couple of things that made me think of. One is I have an episode. One of my episodes is with Jamie Cohen. And Jamie Mason Cohen is a handwriting expert. And he talks about, on the episode, we talk about how the the difference in what you will remember when um, when you take hand, take notes by hand versus not and why it happens that way, which is, which is really fascinating. The, the other side of it is that when it comes to CRMs, uh, there's, a, there's an article I wrote years ago that's still very popular, which said, you know, what's the best CRM? And I said, the best CRM is the one that at its most minimal level meets the rep's needs. So as soon as you start, as soon as you start asking the rep to do 20 other things in the CRM, they tune it out and it's like, how do I avoid this? But if you actually give them a tool that makes their life easier, they're all over it, but it's a totally different thing. In the, in the interviews you've conducted with people, how much do you find, how much do you get into the discussions about CRMs and whether they help or hinder their performance? You know, not, not very much. Although I think that the, that experience and what you will see there matches probably the, the concept, the true conception <laughs> that certainly a lot of sales leaders have that is, Hey, you know, the, the salespeople don't use the, the CRM. I, I find that in, in a small number of cases, they're really enabled by it and, and use that. But in most cases, uh, you know, the, the real work is, is done on the phone and it's, it's done in email and, you know, like you, I mean, this is, this is kind of a personal soapbox issue, uh, for me, because I, I think the way that CRM was conceived was as a management tool, right? And and we want data in and we want to be able to forecast and see the numbers and, and get into that granularity. But to your point, it doesn't serve the sales rep. If CRM made me better, then, then I would use it. And in fact, when I was very early in my career, I worked for this little company, they built their own CRM and it was the best CRM I've ever seen in my life. And, and I'll give you an example. One of the things it would do, it was all um, just sort of uh, task-based, like here's, here's the next action. So you just sort of had this cue. And one of the things it would do is, because I think about my experience with Salesforce today, if I could pick up the phone, Ian, and I call you, what's, what's likely to happen when I dial your number, I don't know, 70 or 80% of the time? Yeah, my voicemail. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to leave you that voicemail. Well, in in Salesforce, I, I don't even want to count how many clicks it is for me to log that call, type out maybe a quick note about maybe what I mentioned. Now I got to schedule the next call. I got to do all this stuff. In this CRM, it was one button because they knew 70% of the time, 80% of the time, you're going to get a voicemail. So I would click the left voicemail button. I could leave a note there if I wanted to. And two business days later, it would pop back up and say, hey, Scott, call Ian again. And I got, I got so many compliments while I was in that role on my follow-up because the CRM made me better. So anyway, we, we digress again. It's a huge soapbox uh, issue for me, but it's, I, I haven't seen that tool out there that is really built around the rep. And again, if, if we, if that were to be the case, then leadership would have all the numbers they'd need. Because it would all be in CRM, which is the biggest problem today, as most of the data isn't doesn't live in the CRM. On October 15th in the Washington, D.C. area, 
I'll be offering a same side selling immersion program open to a maximum of six companies. If you'd like to learn more about it, visit ianaltman.com and you'll see a link on the homepage. Yeah, people don't put data into the CRM because they feel like they're a data analyst, not a, not not someone who is an account executive trying to build business and build value for the client. It's like, yeah, also ask them about this and ask them about that. It's like, look, they're, they're not a market market research person. You know, this is not their job. They're they're trying to figure out does this client have a problem that we're good at solving that I feel we can solve? And if so, who do I need to get on board so that this is an easy decision for the client? And Oh, while I'm at it, um, what's your shoe size? (laughs) It's just, it's a goofy thing and they don't have time for it. And, but, but what happens is somebody in marketing or someone in the organization says, well, we need to get this information for the client. Who's speaking to the clients? Well, the salespeople are, I got a great idea. Let's let the salespeople, ask all these survey questions. And then what happens is someone in marketing says, well, here are the 37 questions that we want to ask. And no one says, well, what would you do if you actually collected all 37 pieces of data? So next thing you know, the the marketing is chastising the sales organization because they haven't collected all 35 or 37 data points. Well, and and then what happens? So I I worked for a a Fortune 500 company that I won't name. And when they initially implemented Salesforce and had all of these great ideas, if I were to print an empty contact record, maybe it was an account record, one one of those, it was either the account record or the contact record, it was eight pages printed. (laughs) I mean, it was literally hundreds of fields. I'm like, are are you serious? Like, what actually matters? Where, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, it's funny. I I use a tool called Contactually, and Contactually, its biggest penetration is in the real estate market, like residential real estate. And the biggest thing we use it for is depending on the nature of the contact, it just tracks all your email, phone calls, et cetera. And it says, listen, you said for this type of contact, you want to make sure that you're communicating with them every six weeks. And it's been six weeks. So you just need to reach out to them. And it's just one of these systems that is not overly complex. It's just really simple and powerful and it integrates perfectly with email and with your calendar and everything else. So it just, there's no extra work. And I just think that too many organizations, they create extra hurdles and it creates friction within the sales organization and people put it in with the best of intentions. It just sucks people into the vortex of evil. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was it right there. I I love the word friction, right? I I think what you ultimately need to move towards, whether, whether it's just personally, and we're talking about self-management or, or for your team, if if you are in sales ops or are you responsible for these types of systems, like what are the most basic things that you need? How do you simplify and how do you remove the friction at any point in your sales process? I mean, certainly you want to do that with, with your buyer, but, but how do you do it for the seller too, right? We, I don't need friction in my life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the idea is, yeah, you want to make it so that the buyer and the seller both say, wow, this is really easy. It's it's funny when organizations have complex bid processes. So if they're going to, if they're going to send a contract and agreement to the client, it takes two weeks to get it done. What I always tell organizations is, look, if it takes you two weeks to produce this, what's going through the client's mind? The client's mind, in the client's mind, they're thinking, okay, so we made a decision to do business with you. It's taken two weeks for you to agree to do business with us. Man, these guys are going to be impossible to work with. 
I'm just going to work with these other people because they got us an agreement in two days. Yep. They got us an agreement in two hours. And that timing becomes essential. So, so in, in all these different discussions that you've had with people, are there, are there certain habits or behaviors that you notice that are common across people that you say, you know what, there's just, here are these common threads that regardless of industry, regardless of the dollar amount that they're selling, the top performers tend to do these things consistently. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the, the your answer was was embedded in the question. I, I think it's the consistency, right? It, it really comes down to you know one one of the questions that I ask, and I think I've asked this in every interview, is if they subscribe to a particular sales philosophy, right? Trying to understand is 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 there some type of you know core methodology or, or something like that? And the, the the answer there is again they're they're basically a student of sales, right? They've they've read widely. They've they've done training on multiple methodologies over the course of their career, and ultimately, what they've done is they've cherry picked the pieces that really, at the end of the day, best fit them. I, I find that if there were, it's, it's really hard to find a, a true common denominator because there are so many different styles and approaches and, and everything else. If there were one. It's that the best of the best have found a way to be the best version of themselves, right? So it's it's a very authentic approach, right? As as they're evolving and adopt and creating their own sales methodology and their sales process that they're going to apply consistency, it's one that is really tailor fit for them. It's very comfortable for them. It doesn't feel, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to find some weird way to manipulate you and, and do unnatural things, right? This should feel very natural. And, and then it's just, you know, it's, it goes back to really basic things like, you just have to work really freaking hard, right? There's, there's no shortcuts in any of this. There's no secrets in, in any of this. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, what might be surprising is that there aren't very many surprises, right? But what you hear is just the example of what it actually takes and what it is in, in the real world. I mean, I, I feel like in so many ways it comes back to, it, it's like the Roger Bannister concept, right? It's, I have to kind of see somebody else do it first before I can believe it's possible. And then once I have that belief, then, then the shackles are off, right? Then it's, then you can kind of go crazy. And that's what so much of this becomes, right? It, it just, it's a, it's a source of inspiration in, in a lot of ways. And it's also, again, it's another source of those little tidbits that you're going to pull out as you find what fits you and what fits your style and what fits your approach that really makes the best, most well-rounded, most successful sales professional. Sure, Scott. And and one of the things that I often find people will say to me, oh, well, gee, so if we're not going to implement same-side selling, what should we implement? And I always say, look, same-side selling is one approach. As long as you find an approach that resonates for you and you have the discipline to stick with it, you're going to be successful. So I have all these case studies of companies that had dramatic growth. And the first thing I always say is, look, 
it's less about the system itself and it's more people have the discipline to follow a system. And I'd love to say that, oh yeah, you know, gee, they never could have achieved this with a different system. But I always say, look, the people who grew tenfold in 18 months or three years, they did it because they had a discipline to follow a process. I was fortunate because they selected my process. But any process would have worked. What I'm curious about is in the different interviews you have with these, these top one percenters, and, and you may not ask this question, so I don't, I don't know, but do you find a pattern in terms of people who practice, role play, in essence, prepare for meetings in advance? Do you see that as a, as a common thread? Yeah, so again, not a specific question, and I don't know necessarily about the, the role, place piece, role play piece specifically, but the preparation is, is massive, right? It's, there's absolutely a lot of emphasis on preparing really to do anything, right? There's the preparation for the week, which is certainly a question that I ask, right? Just understanding the the day-to-day and the way that they're structuring their week. And what I, what I find is much like most many of the executives I talk with, there's a time often Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, where you're preparing for the week ahead. What's coming up? What do I need to get set up? What am I not yet ready for? And, and I need to carve out time to prepare for. So preparedness is is certainly a, a big theme. Um, I, I can't answer your question specifically on kind of the, the role playing component though. Well, so at your event, at the Sales Success Summit, I'd love to know that. <laughs> because I have a sneaking suspicion that Oftentimes, I see the top performers, those are the people who say, yeah, sometimes we'll just role play what a meeting is going to be like. And then you'll say, how often do you do that? Oh, like every week, you know, we'll find one or two scenarios to kick around. And and so I'm curious if you see that in the top 1%. And, um, and now, that I've, now that I've mentioned that to the audience, can you tell people a little bit? Because I think that the approach that you have for the Sales Success Summit in Austin and it's October, what is it, the 24th? And, or what, what are the dates again? 15th, 14th and 15th. The 14th and 15th. So October 14th and 15th in Austin. You do some things very differently than a lot of other conferences. So tell me a little bit about how you curate this and what the structure of the event is. Yeah, so the, the first probably biggest difference is, is that curation piece. Um, so 100% of the people on the stage are active practicing sellers. So the criteria for my podcast is I interview active quota carrying individual contributors who are either number one or at least in the top 1%. I, I joke that, you know, on a team of 300, if I interview the number two guy, I'm willing to settle for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so all of the all of the presentations are from those individuals, and it's all just deeper dive than the places we've already gone in, in the podcast, which which tend to be very long. You do a good job keeping your episodes short, Ian. Mine not so much. My my average interview is probably seventy five minutes. Like we just we just go. It's not unusual for me to go ninety minutes or, or two hours. We just go super super deep. But the other thing I try and do with that event, I, I've been to so many events, and I have so many frustrations with with just kind of the status quo. One of the challenges I see is. The, the organizers try and cram so much content into the event that you end up feeling just completely overwhelmed. 
right? And and especially if it's if it's a larger event and you have to run all over the place and get to different places and and all that. One, you know, we're, we're keeping this very intimate. You know, it'll be probably about 180 people, uh, all said and done. And I've left just a lot of white space in the agenda. We're, we're doing it in an Alamo draft house, which for those who aren't familiar, this is a, a movie theater chain that got its start here in Austin. And it's one of those full service deals, right? So you get this nice, comfortable chair. There's a full menu at your seat. There are servers who will bring you whatever food and drink you want all day long. And so because of that, I don't have to worry about meals. You get to eat whenever you want. And so the structure is all of the content is built into two-hour blocks. So there's 90 minutes of content and then 30 minutes to, to connect. You know, again, the only content is not the only reason you go to the event. The, the other reason, maybe the real reason you go to an event like this is for the connections and for the community. And so we've created a lot of space for that to happen, for those conversations to, to be had and um, it's not just the top 1% that are on the stage. Frankly, I didn't have enough room for all of them. And I've interviewed something like 70 of them on the podcast. About half of them are coming to the event. So the person you're sitting next to, she might not be on the stage, but she's at the top of her game and you're going to have an opportunity to get to know her and and continue that that dialogue and really build uh, these relationships that, that have the potential to, to serve you in, in so many different ways. It's incredible. And, and then there's just the experience side of it, right? It's it's Austin. So we're going to take everybody on, on a really fun bus ride sponsored by Lead IQ down to the Salt Lake, right? And we're going to have this great after party. Uh, and and it, it's, it's more than just the content. It's the opportunity to connect with like-minded individuals who, who really just have a, a drive and a hunger to take their game to the next level. That's great. I know people can learn about it at toponesummit.com. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. Is that is that the best URL for people? Absolutely. Okay. So, and and I know that there are a number of top one percenters that listen to this show. So hopefully we'll um, we'll see some of them there as well. And um, I, I just I, you know what I I love the notion of the event. And selfishly as a speaker, I love working with the top performers. So for me, it's like man, I love to work with that audience. But at the same time, I love the fact that people are hearing from their peers rather than a um, an alleged subject matter expert who maybe doesn't have the relevant experience in the field. Because I know that there's a lot of people in this space who the last time they sold anything was 20 years ago and it was a steak knife to somebody. And, you know, you're talking in front of a B2B audience and they're saying, here's what you should do. And we're all scratching our heads saying that's not going to work. And I think that, in your case, you've curated this audience and you've cur- curated the speakers so that you're just surrounded by people who are top performers looking to learn from each other. And I love the fact that you said that this group tends to be people who are lifetime learners with a desire to serve and they're empathetic to what else is going on in the world. And it's just a great environment that you've created. Thank you. So. <laughs> Scott, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and connect with you online? 
Yeah, so uh, I'll send everybody to just one spot so you don't have to remember a whole bunch of different things. If you go to top1.fm with the number one, so T-O-P, the number one.fm, you'll find links to everything there. So both podcasts, the book, the summit, uh, you can get on our listener list if, if this is of interest and, and you want to kind of stay in touch regularly and, and a little bit of a behind the scenes look. Uh, that's the best place to, to make all the connections. And actually, I'll, I will offer one other thing because I love hearing from folks that have invested in themselves and, and listen to these types of conversations. If, if this resonated with you, I'd love to hear from you. So you're, you're welcome to send me an email. You can email me scott at top1.fm. Excellent. So Scott, thanks for sharing your wisdom. And just, I really appreciate you for curating such a great group and sharing your insights with our listeners. So thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks for the great work you do, Ian. Scott shared so much great information. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, those traits, which are, he finds the top performers are empathetic, they have a desire to serve, and they're lifetime learners. The second, I love this comment, if CRM made me better, I'd use it. And finally, remember that top performers are prepared. They're always preparing. They're preparing for the week ahead as well as for their meeting, and they're looking at their goals going forward. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. There's a topic I should cover or a guest I should have on the program. Just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.